0: Hey there, Annie and Julie here. We just wanted to pop in real quick before we dive into this episode and announce our new show name. We're excited to announce that we're rebranding the Investing for Good podcast as the life and money show now this new name reflects the broad focus of our episodes and guests thus far and allows us to tell even more stories about living a meaningful and intentional life by design while also making an impact we're extremely grateful for your support and listenership as we've grown this podcast and are excited to begin this new chapter so we can bring you even more valuable stories and insights. With that,
1: let's dive into the episode. We didn't settle on the property manager until we actually had the deal on the contract. So, we walked through each unit in the property and We actually invited a couple property managers to come and walk them with us. And through that process, we got a lot of input as to how they would manage or what they would change.
0: You're listening
2: to The Life & Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families, and impacting the
0: world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, hey, everyone, Annie Dickerson here together with Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you?
3: I'm doing great, Annie. How about you?
0: I'm fantastic. You know what I did just before we recorded this was I was watching that YouTube video of the mama bear with the baby bears. Did you see that one? Yes. (laughs) So for all of our listeners, if you could picture this, right, it's a busy street, but all the cars on the street are stopped because there's this big mama bear with these tiny little cubs on one side of the street. You can tell she means business. She's like, get over here here. I told you not to cross the street without my permission. She goes over there. She carries one of the cubs and right across the street. And then the other, I think there were four total. So the other three are still over there. One follows her across. The other two are still staying over there. And then finally she comes back, she takes another one. She goes back, she takes the other one, but they're still like, can't round them up because every time she gets one, another one goes across the street. And that's the story of parenting, right? Oh,
3: yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And when you got multiples like that running you in circles, it just never ends. It's one of those things that it's just like, oh, geez, you know, you're just it's I remember those days for sure with my kids. But uh, yeah, it was such a cute, (laughs) cute little video. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, who knows that parenting grind is our guests today, David Kamara and Jessica Bradley, Founders of Cape Sierra Capital, and they have four kids of their own. And they talked about how, you know, right around the time that their first was born, they really started taking real estate investing more seriously and started really getting into it, not with this idea of building this empire and getting all these investors, but really trying to learn it for themselves to build that legacy for their family.
3: Yeah. And it's such a great story, I think, in this time right now where we're at, you know, going through going through this period of time where we all have kids at home, maybe some places, maybe not anymore, but, um, you know, over the last year, just, you know, realizing how important it is that we've, you know, need to think about, how we're generating these different passive income streams to support us through various life challenges that will happen. You know, they will happen. Will we have another pandemic? Probably not. But what are the chances of things happening in life where you either may not be able to work or, you know, something comes up that prevents you from, you know, maximizing your, you know, your income that you have. And so it's such a a great reminder. And that was something they said at the end of the show was that, you know, real estate investing has offered them that flexibility over the last year to be home. With their family. And it's done the same for you and I as well. So, you know, for anybody out there who's, you know, thinking and on the fence, you know, now is a great time to at least at a bare minimum, start educating yourself and, you know, start thinking about how you can get into these things. But one of the things that David and Jessica talked about in the early days, when they were first experimenting, was that just that that they were in open to taking on a little bit of risk. And I think that, you know, I never like to think about it as just, you know, blind risk, but I like to think about it as, um, you know, mitigated risk, where you think about, you know, how can I, I know, there's always going to be risks in anything that we do. But how can we go about this in a way that's, you know, mitigated, you know, so that we don't open ourselves up to a whole can of worms. But that was something that they talked about earlier on that I think really contributed to their success later on was just having that open mindset and, you know, be open to failure, because it's through those failures that we really learn the big lessons that we need to find big success later on. So yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, learning about those risks, I can't underscore enough the importance of learning the risks going in. Not to get stuck in analysis paralysis, but really to have an open mind and your eyes wide open as you're going into a major investment as you would in real estate. So for any of our listeners out there, if you are new to the world of real estate syndications, a fantastic place to start is to get a copy of our book. It's called Investing for Good. And we have a free hardcover copy for each and every one of you. Just go to goodeginvestments.com slash book to get all the details. And now, here we go. Here is our conversation with David Kamara and Jessica Bradley. David and Jessica, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Very good. Thank you. We're very excited to be here.
0: We are thrilled to have you here. Now you are both seasoned real estate investors and have successfully navigated that transition from single family and small multifamily rental properties to larger commercial multifamily assets. And I know that this is an area where many investors get stuck, right? They want to scale up to multifamily, but it's hard. It's hard to get beyond that comfort zone of what you know and what you're familiar with. So Start by taking us back earlier in your journey, perhaps before that first commercial multifamily deal that you did. David, maybe we can start with you. How did you get started on this path and what were you guys hoping to achieve through investing in real estate?
1: Sure. Uh, Thank you. We both met actually here in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan and we graduated in the early 2000s. Moved to the big city, Moved to Chicago, got jobs. And it was a fun time after the dot-com bust, right? Essentially, I think the big eye-opener for us was when we bought our house. We got very interested in, like, so we lived in the city for about a year and then said we should buy our own place. That whole process of buying our first home was a very educational process. And then Jessica and I got really excited about, hey, if we can put 5% down and go buy a $200,000 house, why wouldn't we do that and make some more money on the side? So that was kind of the first impetus. So after we bought our place, I think it was maybe two years later that we bought our first investment property, which was a duplex and threeplex.
0: Okay. And so you sort of saw how this all could work. And then, so you waited a couple of years and things were going well and you were like, okay, Let's keep going. Let's buy a duplex and triplex. So tell us about that. Cause I know even that going from a single family to two units or three units can be daunting for some people. So did you look at it the same way as that single family? Or did you at that point, did you get a mentor? Did you take courses? Like, how did you get to that place where you were confident in investing in that duplex and triplex?
2: It really was more of like an experiment, honestly. (laughs) Um, David and I were looking at buying something and we knew that our first purchase would be kind of a school of hard knocks. You know, it wasn't going to be uh, something that we, we didn't know if it would succeed or not. And we just kind of took it as it was and we bought them, um, they're in uh, Gary, Indiana. And so we went to an area where we knew that we would really learn something from them.
1: <laughs> so yeah, just to give some context, right? So Gary is actually the birthplace of Michael Jackson. But that city has, frankly, seen a, a decline. I mean, since the, I guess, late 60s, 70s. Um, but there's there's a big still mill still mill there, which um, supports jobs. So what primarily we were looking for at the time was cash flow, right? And also we were looking for buying something that would not be extremely expensive. So if we lost some money, we could afford to lose it. Um, but the buildings we bought were all occupied, and so that gave us a lot of courage. But Jessica and I also went to a number of conferences. We did not get a coach. We just went to a number of conferences and try to understand how does this really work. And that that was our first first try.
0: Oh, and so, okay, so obviously, birthplace of Michael Jackson, that's definitely, I mean, more reason do you need to pick a great market? But beyond that, I think a lot of people get stuck here, right? Because they think, okay, either I have to invest in my backyard, and if not, then they get scared, right? Well, where in this huge country, where do I start looking? So tell us a little bit about that. How did you settle on Gary, Indiana?
2: So that's a great question. We graduated in the early 2000s and we you know it was hard to find jobs coming out of college at that time and we were honestly looking for something that was in our budget and something that we could learn from
1: and and also it is driving distance from where we're living so we're living in, in metro chicago at the time so northwest indiana in general is i mean at most an hour drive right so it's essentially the same the same community same area how we ended up there was just really looking at pricing and looking at cash flow. And again, at this point, we're just looking at the MLS, right? We're looking at listings and seeing certain multifamily, small multifamily is really duplexes, duplexes being listed with what the rents are. And then also, I mean, clearly you can do the mortgage math and see, well, wow, if, if my rents are $500 each and I'm buying this thing for not that much, it will be really hard for it not to work. What other headaches are we inheriting if we do this, right?
0: Yeah. I think you said a a hit on a couple of key points there. One is it was within driving distance. So you sort of had a geographical advantage, right? So even though you didn't live there, but it was close enough that if you needed to be there within a day or two days, you could be there without having to hop on a plane. So that's an advantage there. And the second thing that I heard you say was the cash flow piece, which ties into your goals. And so a lot of people, when they start investing in real estate, they don't, even know what they're hoping to get out of it. They're just like, well, I heard that it's a good thing to do. And so I thought I'd do it. But it sounds like from your story, you really knew from an early stage, like we're doing this for cash flow. And so you were looking at properties with that lens in mind. And so I assume that at this point with single family, duplex, triplex, you weren't doing this full time. So what were you doing for your W 2 job?
1: So I was working at a industrial maintenance repair operation supplier. So McMaster car is a, is a big employer in, in Illinois, really. It's kind of like a Granger. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Granger. So they're mm-hmm. like a, a distributor of parts, right? So that was what I was doing. And then Jessica I, at the time, good.
2: Yeah. I was working for a health insurance company. I was managing accounts. So,
1: okay. so yeah, we read a few books and I mean, learned from Bre- Bre- Breach Dad, Poor Dad, and I mean, that kind of also during that whole discovery phase, we did a lot of reading and, like I said, attending conferences. But the idea was, let's invest for cash flow. Let's maybe buy a house or two every twelve to eighteen months if the budget could could support that. And in ten years, we'll have ten houses, hopefully, and things would be great. That was the plan,
0: yeah. I think that's where a lot of people start is they're like, okay, well, w- w- this first one worked and then, okay, well, let's just do that again and again and again until we have basically this nest egg built up in these homes. But you guys started off that way, and then you got into the duplex, triplex, but then you started to go much bigger. So tell us about that part of your journey.
1: Sure. So we did the duplex and the triplex, and those are, like you said, kind of in our backyard. We didn't quite really focus on let's go big immediately. Again, we were both working. We didn't have a ton of resources. I mean, you have kind of a new family growing and we both went to grad school and the plan at the time was finish grad school, then have kids, then do other things. Of course, that plan didn't quite go as planned as things happen. So we bought another single family in 2007, which was close to where we were living. And then we were both in grad school programs when our first daughter was born in 2007 as well. So the investing part kind of took a bit of a break. Then there was the, go ahead. Well,
2: before we move on, you know, we also did a lot of renovating in our house in Chicago. So changing the bathroom, changing the kitchen. So, of course, I managed a lot of that renovations and worked with a lot of the contractors to make sure all of that was done the way that we wanted it to be done. So that was something that was really helpful to kind of close a door on being able to pay for all of those undergraduate student loans (laughs) <laughs> so we really had a lot of steps in real estate that helped us along the way. And they're baby steps, but in every facet of our life, it kind of helped us in different ways. So I, I don't want to gloss over it because at the time it was a really big deal for us. I was pregnant with our first daughter at the time. And, you know, being able to get that student loan debt out of off of our plate was a big
3: deal. Mm-hmm. That's so, such a good point because I feel like a lot of people just like you said, kind of like gloss over that. And for me, it was very much of the same way when I was slowly like building, I felt like I wasn't making any progress, but really it was these little like steps that you were taking towards getting to where you guys are at now that really allowed you to lay the foundation and without a solid foundation, well, we all know what happens. Right. And so I think that's such a good point that you really highlighted the lessons and the things that you were going through at the time. And it was kind of going to joke with you, David, that, you know, and then you had your first kid and then, plans changed. I have three kids (laughs) and my plans have now taken me five years longer than I wanted it to take because my kids were young. And so I think it's important for people, especially younger folks who are out there who might be starting a family, saving for work and saving for investments and other things to realize that these things take time. And that as long as you're making little baby steps towards your goals, that's progress. It all counts towards what you're doing. So I love that you kind of brought some attention to that.
1: Yeah. And I think Jessica was instrumental and, I mean, she's kind of the creative force behind any kind of renovations or any kind of project management that we do in our real estate. So yeah, with that first property, I think we bought it and within a very short span of time, because we remodeled the kitchen and made it nicer, remodeled the bathrooms. And I mean, really kind of those little things that add value to the house, we're able to refinance it, right, get some money out, pay for the renovations, pay off the school loans. And then I think we had some like, I think we used some of that cash to go buy that next house, which again, Mm -hmm. wasn't very expensive, but you need to have the money to come from somewhere when you're both working and kind of scraping things together to make it work. So yes, that was great. And even like later, that second house had, after about a year after we bought it, this is like an old Chicago bungalow, the street that it was on was a main thoroughfare, but the sewer system was very small and Chicago gets these massive rains. So after we bought it, we discovered that we had a massive plumbing issue. And then again, Jessica project managed that to completion. And we still own that house today. And it's got a tenant in there for about eight years now. And I mean, they're great.
2: Right, both homes we still own and we're still renting out. Yeah, we never really recovered from the market crashing. So it's nice to still have tenants there. I mean, as far as how much money we put into those houses. So, I mean, now we have, but (laughs) when we wanted to move, we weren't ready to sell them. We couldn't sell them at the price point that we wanted. So, but our tenants are still there and they're doing great. Yeah, well, that's so- what's
3: great about real estate, right? You guys can you have options. I mean, that's what I love about real estate. Is like, well, you can't sell and you're ready to sell. Well, you just hold on to it and rent it out and still make money either way. And that's one of the things I love about real estate is you could just get super creative with it. And there's always an answer, you know. To if it's not to meet a short-term goal, it's maybe to meet a longer-term goal, and you can kind of mold it to fit how you need to. Yeah.
1: No, absolutely to get back to Annie's question. So life happened. We both went to grad school. Uh, Jessica's got two master's degrees. So do I. We ended up by the time we we're done with school. Well, so now we have four daughters. We have four girls. Oh 13, the youngest. You have
0: four kids and four master's degrees Ooh. between the two of you. So
1: yeah. <laughs> we, go, we, go back, we go back to Michigan. And like Jessica just said, at the time, this was just after the whole Great recession period not a great time to sell so we held on to them and that worked out just fine i ended up starting a management consulting business so i worked in a management consulting practice for a number of big firms multinational firms and then started my own and that really took off and went really well with i mean some significant cash flow from that which we then used to renovate a house in michigan and I think it was, I mean, I think our, our oldest was about eight at the time. And then one morning, one Sunday evening, she looked at me and said, Dad, are you going to work tomorrow? Which meant, am I not going to see you for the next three days? And that was kind of like a, a, a punch to the gut, right? So Jessica and I like looked at ourselves and said, this whole real estate thing that we were on, that was working and we really didn't scale it up. And I mean, the money is great, but like we need to do something different. We need to probably scale up and take a, another harder look at this. And that's when we started doing the multifamily thing.
0: Yeah, I think all the parents out there who are listening can relate to a moment like that where it just stops you right in your tracks, right? It's like, you're going along, you're thinking about your own goals and your own career progression, the plans you had for your life. And then this little person comes up beside you and it's like, daddy, mommy, when are you going to spend more time with me? I want to play with you. Or I want to, you know, I want to hang out with you. And then it stops you in your tracks because you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Like I'm going away from the thing that's most important to me. I know Julia's talked about this as well. She had an experience just like this. And so have I, and most of the other parents who are listening have Probably experienced something similar where you just get this wake up call, that punch in the gut. Like you said, you're like, in that moment, you're like, okay, I have something has to change. I have to do something differently. And it just changes your whole perspective. And so you had that moment and then you guys talked. So you decided at that point you would focus and go to bigger multifamily. Is that what came out of that conversation?
1: Right, because when we moved back to Michigan, we continued buying single-family houses, and those worked really well. But, I mean, again, it wasn't at a scale where we could go get a property manager, right? And so we had the conversation, like I said, we Jessica had just done this awesome job on our house.
2: Yeah, so going back, we actually renovated our house two times. So the first when we moved back to Michigan, we worked with a contractor, and it was a rehab loan, right? So we had to work with the contractor and make sure that the numbers lined up to really make sure that it's a 203k loan, a rehab loan. Yeah. So we had to work. What does
3: that mean? Real quick, if anybody's listening, what does that mean? What is a 203k loan?
1: Yeah, so it's a so typically, right, if you're buying a property that you know needs work, you go get your mortgage, And you buy the house and then you now have to go get financing to do this loan, which I mean, that's kind of painful, right? You're really getting two loans, two big loans. With a two or three K loan, what it allows you to do is you apply for one loan at the same interest rate, but you need to really create a very detailed list of what improvements you're going to do. And so your appraisal on the property kind of takes into account the work that you're going to do in advance. So Mm -hmm. this house we bought was a like a 3000 plus square foot house and it got appraised that what its price would be after all these repairs that we wanted to do would be accomplished. So then they give you the loan in two tranches, one to close, and then they give you whatever. I think our renovation budget was about a hundred K. So then they have an inspector that comes in and they only release those funds once the inspector says, yes, this has been done and move forward. So that was extremely helpful.
3: Wow. Is it harder to qualify for a loan like that?
1: I think not really. Again, these products are just not very advertised, but I think it's an FHA, uh, it's an FHA loan. And I think there's maybe thresholds above which you may not qualify. But again, Michigan wouldn't hit those.
3: Interesting. Okay. Thanks for explaining that.
2: Yeah. And I think at the time they were incentivizing buyers because of the market. Yeah, we did a lot of renovations, took a break, had two more <laughs> daughters, and then <laughs> we <laughs> finished our house and it had another huge renovation. We did the master suite, we did the outside of the house, we did the back patio, everything. The front, we did the porch, completely changed the whole look of the house. And I remember I just had my last daughter and it was like the contractor showed up the very next day <laughs> to start renovating our house. Oh, no. So I was managing <laughs> that throughout the entire process, making sure everything was exactly what
0: we wanted. Contractors but- are like newborns in some ways, you know. Yeah, that you gotta totally. like stay on top of them. They need you every couple of hours. They cry all the time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Tell them the same thing three, four times because
2: they yeah. don't it two times. <laughs> yeah, we. Did- we did have to fire an electrician after he told me what I wanted and there was it was a hard conversation to have but it's just the reality of working and making sure you have exactly what you want.
1: Yeah, and so the difficulty at this period for us was I was still mostly in my corporate management consulting career so I mostly was traveling 3 to 4 days a week. Right? So I was home every weekend, I was home basically Thursday evening, Wednesday evening sometimes, but Jessica was kind of at the forefront of making sure the house renovations were going the way we wanted and everything went well. So, I mean, I think based on a house is probably worth at that point, probably four times what we bought it for just because, I mean, we did such such a crazy good amount of work and Jessica did an awesome job with it. But then that's when we said, okay, let's pull some of this home equity out. Let's go buy a big project. Let's go buy a multifamily property. So that, that was kind of the impetus. And again, A lot of conversations between the two of us. How would this work? Are we sure it's the right move? Well, sure. The single family stuff works and the duplexes work. Let's move to a bigger property and then outsource the project management, right? Get somebody professional to to deal with that. So that was our first foray.
2: Yeah, we were really ready at that point for David to scale back on traveling and find something else.
3: So tell us about that first deal, like how, so, cause I know when I was like, when I had this aha moment and I was like, oh, I'm going to go. Do multifamily. (laughs) I got a good reality check, right? I realized that there's a whole lot that goes into buying these multifamily properties, all the way from you know building broker relationships to raising the money to project ask management to due diligence. There's a whole myriad of things, as you know, anyone who's in the space knows that you know, to, to play in the multifamily space, there's just so much that needs to get done. So tell us about what did that first deal look like? How did you even get yourself to that first deal did you was it more conferences did you ever hire a coach to do this what did that look like
1: yeah so we thought about it hard and I mean we basically agreed that it would make sense to get a coach because yeah yeah sure we're smart and we can figure things out but it'll probably take us a longer period to get there so we ended up mm-hmm. getting a coach and
2: in the area to make sure that we could also get you know those connections
1: Right. And so that was very helpful. The reason I think that we were ready to go is because we also had the money. And so I Mm -hmm. think if you're raising funds to do something and you're not sure how it works, like there's just more hurdles to overcome. Like I said, we essentially knew that we had this home equity line that we had lined up and the consulting business was doing really well. So we were good to go. The first part of all that, I guess, was looking at the market, kind of understanding the metrics and the KPIs to look for. What does cash flow look like? What are the different mortgages available? Broker relationships, absolutely. I remember brokers giving me kind of the runaround. I'm like, listen, I'm buying this with my own cash. Actually, for the first couple, I actually said I'm working with net, high net with people, even though we had our own cash. But then once they saw that we're really serious, there wasn't an issue. And of course, after you buy that first one, things move forward much more quickly. So we actually did... I think four deals that first year. So within that first wow. year, we probably bought over 100 units uh, just for us. Wow.
3: wow! That is amazing. That is so cool. So how did you get the confidence? What was the first? So 100 units total out of the four were they 25, 25, 25? What were the yeah. unit sizes like? They're
1: totally different. So the first one was 40. And
3: okay.
1: It was 40 townhomes, which were about 1,500 square feet or 1,400 square feet each. So there were three and four bedrooms, one one and a half baths with full basements and backyards. And for that specific one, that was the first one. I think the, the thing that gave us confidence was, I mean, Jessica and I drive the neighborhood and make sure that it works. But then there was a complex half a mile away, which was renting for about a hundred dollars more.
2: Right, and not only that, the location, it's in Battle Creek, which is a city that has Kellogg's. Kellogg's. And it just has um, a university there. It has...
1: There's just a bunch of employers. Right. It's not a San Francisco, right? But it's it was large enough that we felt confident that we could fill 40 units.
3: And what market was this again?
1: It's called Battle Creek. So Battle Creek is oh, where Bell Kellogg's Creek. cereal okay.
3: Kellogg's cereal, right.
1: Got um, it. Okay. It's actually, you know, like they, they call it cereal city. Okay. There's other cereal manufacturers that have production <laughs> facilities there. <laughs>
3: Who, is it like they grow, it's easy to like grow the cereal or whatever, man, I mean, like what
0: makes <laughs> they, like a the, We are in the Midwest, <laughs> yes. We are in the Midwest. There's
1: a lot of corn for sure, but yeah. <laughs>
0: you just <laughs> plant the fruity pebbles in the right, ground and a box exactly comes out. Yeah,
3: there, That's what <laughs> I was thinking. And there must be a prime place for boxes to grow. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, okay. So you guys bought this 40 unit first. So here's the thing. I have never, I went straight from like single family, smaller duplexes into passive investments and larger deals, but I never made the leap like Annie did from like, you know, duplexes and then into like, you know, larger, like 20, 30, 40 units. That always is so interesting to me. How did you get the, so the confidence really came from just identifying location. I mean, it goes back to something that is so specific to real estate, right? What are the, always say they always say that it's always about the location and so that's really it sounds like what you guys used to be your guiding star to determine whether this was an area that you wanted to plunk down what sounds like it probably was a good chunk of change I mean 40 townhomes probably was a good amount of money was there any fear like that you were afraid that you're plunking down a good part of your nest egg into this one deal or what did that feel like because I think often we talk about numbers on podcasts and all that kind of stuff but so much of what we do in real estate is related to mindset and having that confidence to pull the trigger or not or get over your fears and just the mindset. So tell us a little bit about what that felt like as you guys were going through that.
2: You know, coming from uh, Chicago and having that duplex and triplex and renovating our own house and having all of that experience and then going to a multifamily where it was like, oh, wow, somebody else is going to do all this work for us. (laughs) that that sounds great let's do it Uh I don't remember it being scary scary no I think it was more scarier in the beginning when we after we graduated college and we bought that duplex and triplex so having that foundation was very helpful
4: We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day. Because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to Goodegginvestments.com slash invest, and we'll take it from there. That's Goodegginvestments.com slash invest.
3: Do you guys still own that today? You still own the 100 units today?
1: Yeah, so we own about 150 units today that we never have to sell because it's just ours, right? And then we nice. own more units with investors which yes mm-hmm. I, I mean jessica says well those we don't count because after the whole period we have to sell them but i mean we own a, a good chunk <laughs> of those as well back to the first one i think part of the confidence boost was working with a coach and also looking at a lot of numbers right so we had looked at a ton of deals where we kind of underwrote them and they did not work out for various reasons and then we'd follow up and, and talk to the brokers and say i have a question about this or that, or. that Why are the taxes on this one so high where typically the X percent of the actual amount? So I think we had enough analysis of property deals under our belts where it's almost like, wait, this one actually works. Are we missing anything? Because I mean, for the most part, they usually don't tend to work out. Most people, especially now, things are priced super high. And so you kind of have to double check and say, wait, am I being overly rosy about this? I think the second thing that really helped was getting a property manager who was knowledgeable. And we didn't really settle on that for a while. We didn't settle on the property manager until we actually had the deal under contract. So we walked through each unit in the property and we actually invited a couple property managers to come and walk them with us. And through that process, we got a lot of input as to how they would manage or what they would change. And then subsequent to that walkthrough, we also met with some of these individuals to try and understand, okay, What's the back end to your business? Do you have a process? Do you have other people? Is it just like, how is it run? And so the property manager that we ended up working with now manages over 200 units for us in Michigan. And frankly, our very trusted partner and we feel very lucky to have him.
3: So I'm curious, how has COVID impacted your, I want to move to the syndication stuff after, but how has it impacted, if at all, the 150 units that you guys own personally?
1: So the big Picture answer is slightly down, but not significantly down. I think our collections are probably down three to 5%, but it, it really depends on the property, right? So I think within multifamily, right? So things that are, I would say, C plus and B type property are doing well. And things that are like C minus and D are not doing well at all. I, I think it kind of mirrors the what's happening in the economy, right? So most knowledge workers that can still sit home and be productive and get paid, those people are doing okay, and those rentals are doing fairly well. Rentals that are a little bit on the downside, where maybe more of the tenants are tied to physical job sites and, and maybe more blue-collar work, are, and maybe also service work, right, like restaurants and such, those are definitely taking a bit of a hit, or more so than, than the mean. But again, at this point, every, every building or every asset we have Stands on its own two feet. I mean, it pays its own mortgage, pays its own bills. It's just, are we taking a bit less distributions on some of these? Yes. But again, overall, I feel very fortunate that the whole play about multifamily, right, is the diversification across tenants. So when you have, again, 100 plus tenants, sure, some people fall on hard times. But as long as you do your screening well, you put the right people in your unit with a certain standard, then for us, it's definitely worked out.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm curious on the 150 units that you guys own personally, do you guys have, how do you navigate the property management for that? Like, cause I know I've heard anything under like 75 units, you can't get like an onsite person. How do you guys navigate that? Is it just finding the right PM company that deals with these smaller properties or what does that look like?
1: Right, exactly that. So the PM, I think, is the most important member of your team by, by far. So our property management company, they work on a regional slash local model. So definitely they don't have an on-site person until you have a place with at least 100 units. But for clusters of properties, right? So they will have a local leasing agent that works in that area and lives in that area. Sometimes actually on one of our units, they do live in our thing, but then they service other things and they do pay rent. So they they essentially show up and they can be there at any time to show units, knock on tenants' doors, et cetera, see what's going on, walk it, And then they have a regional person who may be a bit further away, but then they visit every two weeks or whatnot to make sure things are going well. What we do is we have a weekend for each building, right? So we speak to that regional person. They use AppFolio for property management software, which allows us to log in anytime, if whenever we want, right? Wake up, pull up your laptop and log in and see what's going on. The metrics that we care about, right, are... What's the rent roll look like? How many vacants do we have? What is the delinquents or what's the receivables? And then what are the payables? And once we keep track of those and have a good conversation every week about what's happening with the building, it, it really has gone well. I mean, also it helps by all means that we are within driving distance of everything that we own. And so I make it a point to get over that at least once a month, sometimes more frequently to see how the building is working. And that seems to have done, done well.
3: You know, as great as it is, like living here in the Bay Area, I always get so jealous of real estate folks who are like, yeah, I could just drive over to all my properties. It's like, (laughs) oh, because there is nowhere in California within driving distance that I'd be interested in investing. And I don't think there's anywhere in California, period. But it's so funny that you say that because every time I hear that, I'm like, oh, you're so lucky.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Before we get to the syndications piece, I did want to revisit the job piece because I know that's what sort of kickstarted this whole thing into multi family. So at what point in the process of acquiring the 40 units and all the rest of the 150 units you own, did you start to get the confidence or start to plan for exiting your job?
1: So I was already working for myself. So I already had my own firm and really like our, we kind of accidentally fell into syndication. We really never like Jessica and I never said, oh, we should get together and have we, an investment company.
2: We did go to a conference together where we, together, we learned a little bit more about it and kind of thought through it and thought about how, you know, syndicating is really about helping other people. It's not about asking people for money. It's about helping your friends, helping the people that you've worked with to really increase everyone's investment.
3: Yeah. That's so much of how we look at it too. I've never looked at this as a business to get my own deals done. I've always looked at this as a way to how can I help other people, especially because I've started out as a passive investor. I mean, that's always been Annie and my, our mantra is like education has always been such a huge focus for us and really just sharing what we know. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, but what I was going to say is we originally were looking to solve for how do we get me off the road, right? And how do we essentially, how do I, if I wanted to do consulting, I didn't want to travel as much, right? But then as I started telling my clients and my former consulting partners and some of the CFOs and other folks that I work with, that's where I think, I mean, I guess my enthusiasm and my infectious nature of speaking about the the investments came through and people started reaching out and saying, well, tell us more about this because, I mean, we've always wanted to be in real estate, but we never really wanted to like receive the calls about locked toilets and whatnot. But what you're offering kind of could solve that and we could all benefit. So well, our original thought was, let's just get passive income, right? And then people started coming along and saying, why don't we invest with you? So we went to that conference, thought about it and said, sure, uh, we can make our money go further, right? And definitely we could, we could have our friends invest or our acquaintances. Invest. And that is kind of how it together.
2: Yeah, I think one of the other motivators is, you know, David scaling back to traveling, but also allowing us to do the things that we want to do and being able to work the jobs. For example, it, me going back to work, that's something that was a priority as well. So that was also a motivator.
1: Yeah, because for a while, Jessica was doing school. And again, like the speech pathology thing was really calling and you love doing it. So you love helping kids.
2: Right. So I'm I'm an elementary school speech and language pathologist. So it allows me to have the same schedule as my kids, have summers off. But again, having multifamily investing, it allows me to feel comfortable financially and make sure that we're putting our money where we need to for our daughters.
1: So at this point, I mean, the consulting business, I really don't advertise. Clients do come back, people we've worked with before, come back to us and say, We have this engagement. Would you guys be willing to help us? And we we do some of them. We don't do all of them. Our our focus is definitely on the multifamily business. But at the same time, right, that consulting practice is, is very interesting. It's intellectually stimulating and it pays extremely well, right? So it allows us to work a few months and take a good chunk of change and plow it into another property. Why not do that? So that's kind of where we are.
0: So nowadays with Cape Sierra Capital, are you focused mainly on syndications and passive investors and growing that business?
1: Yes. So we do syndicate for larger deals. We raise at the $100,000 level. So again, we're kind of a bit more exclusive in that we, we always want to kind of manage how much work it is and what quality can we provide to investors, right? So we don't necessarily want to go have 20 or 30 people in our deal. We want to have maybe 15, depending on what it is. But again, I think the other thing too is we put money in every deal that we do. We put our own money into every deal that we do. So most of the people that invest with us are people that know us personally or have known us in in our lives. It's not just investors that have found us. I mean, that's growing, but ultimately we want to make sure that we can look these investors in the eyes and say, yeah, I'm putting my own money into this because I feel very comfortable about it. And I think the challenge today has been with COVID, right? I think there's just a lot more money chasing deals, particularly in multifamily because multifamily has performed really well with COVID, right? Hotels and restaurants and retail and office space are all down. And so for us, I think we have a bit of the comfortable or almost luxurious position to be in where we don't have to go do the next deal, right? We don't need to chase that because, again, we're in a very good cash flow situation ourselves personally, and we're not trying to do something that doesn't make sense or reach for yield or any of that stuff. We'll only do something that we feel adds to to the value that we bring to people and to ourselves as well. So that has been very comforting and frankly, probably has helped us avoid some things that we would have done otherwise had we not been in that position.
2: Right. Not only that, I think one of our big motivators is just really creating generational wealth and having that big nest egg there for our daughters and having that extra apartment building might not be the best thing if we can just really focus on one multifamily investment that would benefit us more.
1: Yeah. And it's for us, I think in a big way, it's about teaching our kids, our friends about money, because I think, frankly, it's not taught enough, right? It, I mean, I went to business school, and I think most of the education was about being a good employee, even though I took a ton of entrepreneurial classes. So it's kind of like getting into the mindset of, sure, you, you have all these skills, but how do you use them so that your quality of life improves, right? And you aren't working till you're 60. How do you make sure you're working as much or as little as you like? And then whatever field you're interested in working in.
3: I love that. So I'm curious really quick. I want to talk before we transition. I do want to talk a little bit about your syndication philosophy. So tell us a little bit about that. Cause everybody has a different philosophy. You know, some people are like, Oh, won't touch a class. Some people are like only C class. Some people believe in B class value add, where are you guys at today with everything that's going on with COVID and you know Biden in office and all these new things? I don't want to get into anything super political, but just want to know kind of like what are your high level thoughts on like where we're at today and how you guys are approaching syndication? Like where do you guys see the opportunity in the coming year?
1: Yeah. So our, I think, I guess philosophy, if I may call it that, has been more on cash flow much more so than the value add and and frankly
2: yeah i think it goes all the way back to you know did that triplex did that duplex did that make money yes it did okay we're moving forward same with our apartment buildings and syndicating does it make money <laughs> do the numbers work yes it
1: does right so so mm-hmm. you know like i think if you look on the spectrum right you have the spectrum of people that do the massive rehabs right and most of your return comes from that. We're now able to make these units much nicer, rent them for significantly high amounts, and then we're done. I think ours is closer to this other side of the pendulum, which is we tend to buy things 90 plus percent occupied with significant amount of cash flow that we can promise investors on day one. And then we will opportunistically do upgrades, right? So we'll do kitchen upgrades and bathroom upgrades and floor upgrades as people move out. Why, frankly, is because I think we like to minimize variables and risks. In one of our investments, we had a fire that happened right before COVID started. Unfortunately, nobody was hurt. But because of COVID, that delayed the rebuilding of that building, I mean, traumatically, right? And and you really have no control. So I feel like, again, that's an example that was unfortunate in its timing, but With construction projects, we feel like there are just many more variables that we don't necessarily control or have that much expertise in. I mean, those kinds of levels of rebuilds. So most of our investment focuses on areas of cash flow that we can pretty much know will be there. And then of course, cap rates will do what they do. And we feel a lot more comfortable that we can actually deliver the returns that we promise. And again, as we renovate and focus on kind of the operation side, making being being disciplined about raising rents paying attention to expenses things will kind of work themselves out and again from my perspective my background management consulting is kind of I have a strength in that and the disciplined approach to running businesses which I think has been helpful and then Jessica brings kind of like the okay when we do renovations what level and how do we do them.
3: I think that's such a great way to approach it because when you're focusing on the cash flow, you're really able to deliver on those upfront returns to your investors. And then focusing on the, you know, upgrades that you're doing allows you to, you know, get the potential back end appreciation as well. So you're kind of as long as that cash flow is there first, that's that's always been my priority ever since I started investing, is really on that cash flow. That's the question. I wanted money in my pocket today. I don't want to wait, you know, 10 years or five years for that money to come to me. And so I like that that approach that you focused on making sure that the deal has enough cash flow up front, but that you have opportunities really to you know force that appreciation through you know potential upgrades where and when you can. I feel like that's a safe bet for where we're at in today's you know with everything we have going on today. So looking forward, are you guys looking to take down, I don't know, a three hundred unit like this summer? Like what is it? what's in the cards for you guys? Honestly, I would like to
2: do some kind of an Airbnb model where we can find a cottage or somewhere up north Michigan and Uh be able to utilize, but also, I guess, rent out to other people as well. We'd be able to do some of our renovations there and do some projects there as well as rent it out as an Airbnb
3: that's awesome i know somebody in in our coaching program that we work with who uh does that very same thing she buys a lot of beach rentals and she stays there for part of the year and then on the other parts of the year she short-term rentals them so i should put you in contact with her so you guys can connect about
1: that well we we like that kind of approach but at the same time we're closing on a 124 unit next month so that's kind of the immediate thing and then after that we'll see where that goes for us it's more about finding the right deal
2: yeah. Right. I have to be honest, I'm also looking for another apartment building, probably around 40, 40 units.
0: Okay. That, okay. that
2: we would be able to buy ourselves. Right.
3: Gotcha. Well, all fun stuff. I think that staying under 200 range, under 150 unit range is a great place to play. I think it's a lot less competitive with everything that we have going on with multifamily being so hot. I think that if you can, you know, remain competitive in that space, that you have a great opportunity to still lock down good deals. So
1: love that approach. We totally want to echo your point. I think that in the space, if you think about it, there's the mom and pops that are lower end, there's the big money that's 200 units and up or 25 or 15 million and up. And then kind of in that sweet spot is a lot of good opportunities, absolutely.
3: Right, yeah. So anybody out there looking to syndicate deals, look in the 75 to 150 unit range. That's where the opportunity is right now. (laughs) All right, guys, we're going to move into the life and money impact round. We're going to ask you guys a couple of questions. Feel free, either one of you to answer in terms of whoever feels like it's a good fit for the question. Um, So the first question is, what is one thing that you guys are doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by by design? I think that we've
2: been very fortunate during the global pandemic for both of us to be home and be with our daughters. And I think just staying home and being safe and making sure that our daughters are safe and healthy, socially, emotionally, I think that is a really big deal right now for all of us. Mm-hmm. So yeah. staying home and keeping safe,
3: right? Yeah. Um, there's never been a more important time or a more relevant time than everything we have going on right now to have passive income streams set up and i'm so glad that i stumbled across this you know years ago three or four years ago to be in a position same where my husband and i pretty much this whole thing i've been able to be home so i love that and it's definitely intentional and something that you guys uh, identified as a need a few years ago so that's great
1: that you guys were able to be set up for that
2: Right. We also feel very lucky to have made the jump when we did.
1: Right. Yep. And we I think we made a trip to go skiing up North Michigan and it was like, wait, can we do this? Like how does this even work? Right? It was very tentative. And <laughs> I mean it was great and I mean the kids are in remote school anyway, we we can work from wherever. It was just very nice and kind of a good a good break from the whole craziness that's going on and that was very good.
3: Nice. Awesome. All right. Second question is what is one life or money hack that you guys can share that will help make an impact in others'
1: lives right now? I would say that I think the more we're in this business, I think for me, one thing that I recognize and I advise anyone is start early and start, just start, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Real estate is, it's not as difficult as most businesses, right? You can look at probably 10 numbers and know if it works or not in some relative degree of certainty. But again, it's not a business where you have to get everything exactly nailed down and correct to make money. You can still typically make some mistakes, but come out doing well with it. And I think the in terms of start early, what I'm recognizing is some of the deals we bought that were maybe less than stellarly buttoned up deals, as time has gone and progressed, they've definitely done well. And I mean, there's very simple reasons for that, right? Your debt is fixed, right? And rents go up over time. So once you put some money into the property, make sure that things are running well. At some point, it just makes a ton of sense. And the longer you hold it, frankly, the more profitable it is So just start.
3: I feel like real estate, one thing that I love about it is not just the creativity aspect of it, but the fact that I feel like real estate is so forgiving. You know, you can make a big mistake and you can get creative and find another way to make up for that mistake. I mean, i that's the way that I've seen it. What I thought were mistakes, and then you kind of get crafty with it and, you know, you can work it so that it actually ends up being profitable in the long run, kind of like what you're saying. So I think that, you know, it's such an important reminder. We talk about that all the time here on the show is, you know, get out there and make your mistakes, get out there and just start because the longer you sit on the sidelines, the longer you're going to delay the learning lessons that you've been called to learn. And so I think that's such a great reminder to everyone out there is just, you know, go ahead and get started. All right. Last question is, what's one thing that you guys are doing right now to make the world a better place? I think
2: having apartments and having that space where people can call home and syndicating and offering that investment opportunity for people. I'm sorry, those are two things. But (laughs) I think through real estate, they're just really great benefits. And we're making a the world a better place by offering somebody a place to live. You know, this is a really difficult time in the world and being able to go home is a big deal.
1: I would add to that just educating a lot of the people that I used to work with are still in their jobs and they're very high six-figure and low seven-figure income earners that are still tied to their job just because they haven't necessarily to exit that very time intensive lifestyle and while they they're very i guess capital rich they're time poor right so they're not necessarily in control of their time and i feel like educating people about some of the options that you can learn to get passive income is great Uh, secondly i wanted to add jessica and i run a lot of marathons and and raise a lot of money through those kinds of activities we together with my sister built a a hospital back in in sierra leone which is where my dad is i grew up as well and it's very cool to take our kids back there all of them to have them see kind of the contrast, right? And it gives people, gives our kids some grounding and what real problems look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I, I think raising our daughters in that kind of uh, environment, I think has been very meaningful to me personally and I
0: know to you as well. Wow. Well, you guys run marathons. You have four kids. You do real estate. You have your own investments. You have syndications. You're providing safe, comfortable places for people to live and you're helping others to discover these opportunities. Man, you guys are so inspirational and have such an amazing story. So tell our listeners where they can go to follow up with you and learn more.
1: Sure, our website is Cape Sierra Capital. So Cape Sierra is also not to Sierra Leone. It's C-A-P-E, S-I-E-R-R-A-Capital.com. And while you're there, you can get our ebook, which is Cape Sierra Capital.com slash cashflow. It's called the personal cash flow and talks to people about visualizing their life from a cash flow perspective. I think most business people understand cash flow in, in companies. And this is how do you take that approach to your personal finances? and essentially work towards passive
0: income. Awesome. Well, we'll have those links for our listeners in the show notes. David and Jessica, multifamily investors, parents, and founders of Cape Sierra Capital. Thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: Thank you so Thank much, you. honey. Thank you, Joey. great
0: talking to you. You've been listening to The Life & Money Show, the number one podcast
2: for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out Goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value
0: out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations.